Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. I'm Millette Jones, and every weekday I chat with today's most successful coaches, and we learn their secrets to building a thriving coaching business. Are you ready to be unstoppable? Let's go. Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast, where inspiration and action come together. Today, I'm joined by Stefan Serdak. Stefan is an in-demand leadership development coach and corporate trainer. He's always been driven to expand the notion of leadership to include each member of the team. As a widely recognized principal consultant, Stefan's work has a strong business impact, helping reshape business cultures and guiding them in becoming more collaborative and efficient. He's the founder of Pixis Cultures, a consulting and training company based in Montreal, Canada. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. It's, it'll be fun today, Millette. Before we jump into more about your business, I would love it if you would tell us just a little bit about yourself, maybe some of the things that you like to do when you're not busy working. Well, um, I'm a bit of a, I'm a coach that plays a lot with people, that works a lot with people. At the same time, uh, I try to keep very much my technical geek aspect uh, alive. <laughs> so when uh, I'm not uh, working with clients or giving training, I like to try different things. Um, I like to sometimes make videos, play with video editing. Uh, I also like to do stuff around the house, do some work, woodworking, play with my kids. Uh, I have two kids, a boy and a girl. Um, we live just in the outskirts in Montreal, so it's nice. It's in the country. It's out of the way. Um, and aside from that, just the regular stuff, some reading, some movies, just trying to enjoy life and take it easy. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. What sort of projects do you like to do around the house? Uh, well, these days I'm playing to try to build myself a little uh, vocal booth in an area of the house to do better recordings and whatnot. Yeah. that. Aside from, aside from that, I like building furniture. Every once in a while, or last year, uh, I redid my deck uh, outside. So that was fun, too. Very cool. Yeah, I'd love to build myself a little recording booth. That sounds like a great project. Yeah, well, for podcasters, the the less noise you have, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, I would love to get started on this conversation, learning a little bit about your business journey. So can you tell us, really, what got you started in coaching where did that interest come from and how long have you been doing it? Um, originally, I started coaching probably about eight years ago. Uh, but before that, I was a very technical person. I used to uh, do a lot of software development. I did pretty much everything that you could do from the software development perspective. Um, what I've enjoyed in my life is I've been fortunate to work in a lot of great companies like uh, IBM, Motorola, the TD Bank uh, in Montreal. So uh, I've had very much an understanding of the corporate world, but I've also worked a lot with smaller companies, you know, 10, 15, 20 people. And so it, it's kind of shaped my background playing in business and, you know, when you work in a small company and you're going out and meeting clients face to face to support them on the software that you've developed, that, that kind of helped hone my consulting skills a lot at the time. And uh, in my career, I ended up in a place where I kind of slowly graduated to coaching. Uh, I went from being a technical lead type of person 
to all of a sudden being the big brother on the teams that I was working with. So, for example, uh, I started working with distributed teams, with teams that are not just in Canada, but also with folks in the U.S., people in uh, China, India, all over the world. And I, I kind of turned into the bridge uh, to help people communicate better, to help people talk better, uh, work more collaboratively together. Uh, the funny thing is if you would have told me 10 years ago that I'd be doing the type of work that I'm doing now in my life, I probably would have laughed. That's interesting because, yeah, I mean, when you were talking, it's like you have a really technical background and maybe it doesn't seem like it really lends itself to becoming a coach. So so what was it about coaching that really intrigued you or, or kept you in that that industry? Well, you see, as I said, the part about becoming the big brother all of a sudden, that was kind of the start of helping me uh, learn some coaching skills and being more aware of interpersonal relationships. Uh, and through time, um, I, I, you know, it's funny because when I started working really as a coach, um, at first I was kind of the achiever coach because I achieved a lot of good stuff in my life. I've been very successful in the projects that I've been on. So I was kind of the coach that would cheer you on and motivate you through rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, I followed an integral coaching course, and I learned a whole lot more about people uh, developing empathy, developing presence. And I learned I had some of those things, and I probably had some of those things since I was a kid. And uh, through a long time, I was so busy achieving that I wasn't cultivating that. Hmm. And so I kind of neglected that aspect of myself. And in the past few years, it's been cool because the way that I've been working has completely changed, like helping teams find their purpose, helping organizations find their purpose, and working more around developing uh, collaborative leadership skills in people. The work that I do now has so much more impact than when I started dabbling, and I'll say dabbling in coaching about eight years ago or so. So let's talk a little bit about that that transition how did you what made you make that leap or and how did you make that leap from working for a corporation to getting into business for yourself the interesting thing is uh back about around 2010 it was my last real big well no not my last corporate job but it was i had been at IBM for 5 years and i changed companies for a year i went to work somewhere else and um, all of a sudden in that other company, what I used to do that made me successful wasn't quite perceived that way anymore. And it forced me to kind of question myself a lot out to how I was showing up with people, how I was um, interacting with people, were people understanding my intentions when I was working with them. And that kind of triggered part of the change in my life. And as for going uh, into business for myself, I stayed at that company for for a year, and then I moved to uh, a different company that actually did coaching, that was offering coaching services, and the company was was called Pixis Technologies. And when I joined Pixis, I was kind of learning what coaching was about, and the fascinating thing about Pixis is the importance that you know how how do we help people 
uh, developed themselves. And I, I stayed with the company for four years. Um, and as I was working with the company, eventually I, I hit a kind of a, a tougher moment for myself, a transitional moment for myself. And uh, I was thinking, okay, so right now I can't do this anymore. I need to leave and I need to get into business for myself. And the beautiful thing that they did for me is they said, but, but Steph, isn't there a way that instead of you leaving the business, can you stay with us and maybe develop something new and maybe develop your, um, d- develop your entrepreneurial side, but, you know, while you're staying in the family, so to speak. S- so that kind of gave birth to Pixis Cultures about two and a half years ago. And we've been working very closely together. We've been working very tightly together and I have a lot of appreciation for what they've allowed me to do. Uh, Cause basically I had a safety net that first year and a half where I was still part of the company uh, till finally we split out into separate companies, but we, we still work very closely together. Yeah. That's a really interesting concept. I don't think I've talked to anyone that has had an experience like that, where they've been able to make such a gradual transition, like you said, with that safety net, as you were getting started, as you were getting your business built up and then splitting apart from the company that you were working so closely with, what would you say was maybe a, a disappointment or just a low point that you experienced while you were getting your business going? The first year was the toughest one. And um, because originally I was supposed to develop another market, uh, and uh, I was trying to put effort, a lot of effort in developing that market. But at the same time, my main client was in Montreal. My main client was keeping me very busy in Montreal. So although I was spending time in that other city, I didn't have time to spend as much time as I would have wanted. So that was hard, uh, trying to learn by doing that way. So after a year of that, uh, I made the suggestion uh, to 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 the people I, I was working with and said, and what if I developed a li- what if I hired some people in Montreal to help me with this big client? Could that be a first step into learning to build this business? So the following year, I hired two people during the year. I hired another person uh, earlier this year. So we're four now inside the company. Uh, so it's it's really. It's been fun for me making that switch to saying, could I do that? Would this be possible? How would you see this? Versus just accepting that maybe it wouldn't. Taking that chance uh, was one of the best things I've done. You know, I'd like to go back to something that I said in your bio that is really interesting to me. And I'd like to explore that just a little bit. What it was, was the the notion of leadership to include each member of the team. Uh, Can you unpack that just a little bit and talk about what that is and how you bring that into your coaching business? I've never really, I've never really talked to anyone about that specific aspect of team coaching before. So in the world that we live in now, in, in, in a lot of the corporate world, what's happening, we're talking a lot about empowering people. We're talking a lot about, you know, the importance of employees, employee engagement. There's a lot of talk about that. There's a lot of talk about purpose too. Uh, but sometimes in large corporations, the problem is we still have these hierarchies. 
We still still have these structures. We still have people that are used to, I'm the boss. I have a title that says I'm the boss. And that title automatically makes me a leader. And, and that can be very limiting because then what we're doing inside companies is we're actually, you know, suppressing the leadership of people around us. And in my own life, when I think of that company that I went to work for after leaving IBM, uh, you know, when they hired me, they hired a very senior person that had a lot of experience. And when I was trying to bring that experience, I, I was ba- basically being pushed away. I was basically being told, no, don't do that. Don't lead anymore. We don't want you to lead here. And it's like, but I'm not asking to be a boss. I'm asking to be alive. It's not the same conversation. So when I see, when I go work with clients, I'm very aware of that. I'm very sensitive to that. When I see people that have great leadership skills and you ask them, what do you do outside of work? And they'll tell you, oh, I'm a hockey coach. Oh, I'm the lead of the ski patrol. Oh, I'm a lead in my church community. Oh, and you see that they have this leadership potential and you see the work they do at the office and you say, well, why can't you do that here? And they go, well, I I don't have the right title. So that's why for me, uh, it's not about having one leader and be and you know following the leader blindly it's about how can we share the leadership hat and here Millette, you can wear it for now cuz you have this great idea here i'll give you permission to lead me and i will i will follow for a little bit and i'll support you and i'll work with you to allow that that thing to happen or to help make what you'd like to do happen that lead, that permission to lead is something we often forget inside companies this being a cornerstone of the way you coach, is this something that businesses, companies are approaching you and saying, hey, we want this sort of culture? Or is this something that that you're presenting to people and saying, this is how this mindset shift could help your business? Or is it a, a combination? It's a bit of a combination. Often what I... What I talk about with clients, um, I talk a lot, typically, like, you know, the world of Pixis is the world of agile software development. So how to uh, develop software in a way that allows us to meet the needs of our clients faster, increase our time to market, uh, build collaboration inside our companies. But what I've found is that, you know, often companies bundle that under the name Agile Transformation. And when we do that, you know, people say stuff like, okay, we're going agile and it becomes meaningless. Why are we going agile? What's the purpose behind going agile? So when I talk to clients, I don't talk about that. I talk about building uh, environments, building cultures that foster continuous improvement. And if we're embracing continuous improvement, then it can be agile, it can be lean, it can be something else called potato next year, but at least we have the awareness and we're paying attention to what we're doing. And um, at the same time, you know, our mindset of continuous improvement may encourage us to embrace this new thing more easily. So in that concept of continuous improvement, in that culture of continuous improvement, people need to be able to bring their ideas. They need to be able to step up. They need to be able to have the real conversations with one another. And that's when this aspect of everyone can be a leader kind of sets in. 
Now, is this something that you felt like you wanted to bring to people or is this something that the company that you were with that they were already doing and you just, you know, as a natural component of creating that business with them, that it was something that you just continued with? That's something that I encourage very much. And again, that's part of my own leadership journey. Uh, one of the books that I, I read a few years ago that, that really, um, changed part of the game for me was a book called Tribal Leadership by, um, Dave Logan, John King, and, uh, Haley Fisher Wright. Mm-hmm. And in that book, they talk about, you know, stages of development of groups. And I read the book. And I understood part of it. But then what I did is actually signed up online. They don't give courses anymore, I believe, but they used to give courses to help you assimilate the material. And I also did their approval program. And that program, having actually experienced the stage four of collaboration, of being purposeful of as, as a group, kind of turned on the light for me where that's what I look to create now around me. And that's how I run my business. And that's how I also try to work with my clients and teach them to do. So that's, that's kind of why people work with me. They kind of get inspired by that vision, I think. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, I think that it's a probably something that isn't the norm, but I imagine that Particularly seeing the results that you've been able to have, that a lot of people are probably interested once they learn a little bit more about it. What would you say was like a big break or or just maybe when you started to feel like you were getting some momentum after you sort of split apart from the company and were a little bit more of standing on your own? As I said, that first year was the hardest thing. Once I actually started taking the chance and getting over the fear um, of hiring people. Because, you know, when you you start a business, uh, there's there's a couple of ways of going in business, right? You can go in business all by yourself, which is probably the easiest way to some degree. Or you can hire people around you, and the number of people that you hire depends on the intention of what you're trying to do. Um, and I felt it was odd to try to you know talk to my clients about building cultures of collaboration without doing it myself in my own business and without having people that work with me and for me to experiment live through it see what it actually meant um you know i talk a lot about conscious leadership about purposeful leadership and the the funny thing is with my own team sometimes i it, I don't want to say it gets put in my face, but I practice what I preach a whole lot more. Well, it's almost like you become your own case study at that point. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. And I promote learning by doing with my clients as well. And that's what I've been doing with my own business. That first year was, okay, can I build this business? No, I can't. This is preventing me. What do I need to do different? Okay, pivot. Try something different tried something different for a little bit, then tried more and more things. But, you know, I I tend to focus a lot on what am I learning in what I'm doing? What can I do with what I'm learning? And what's the next step we can take? And then it becomes this thing where it's easier to just be with what's happening. Right. Rather than aiming for full success. 
or aiming for perfection right away? So when you hired people on, were you hiring additional coaches or just support staff in your business? What I've done essentially, uh, I started by hiring people that I saw potential in. Uh, people that may not have all the experience, but people that have the willingness to do uh, and what what I was talking to them about. Basically, I shared my dream and I saw, can, can, can you dream this too? Are you interested in this dream? Are you willing to invest yourself in this dream? So in the end, right now in my head, you know, I'm, and this could be a limiting belief, but we'll deal with that eventually. But right now I'm thinking, even if we're a company of four, five people and we stay that way for a while, I'm fine with that as long as we're building and living the culture that we're bringing to our clients. And if we can get through that, then we'll integrate someone else. I think that's interesting. I'm totally going way off topic, I guess, here, but I just I would love to unpack that just a little bit that you are pondering whether that's a limiting belief to not necessarily be pushing growth. Do you think that with small businesses, with entrepreneurs, that that we should be growing? Or is it an individual decision? Or is it just, is it okay to just want to stay a solopreneur? What's your take on that? I think it's fine to be a solopreneur if that's what you really want. And if you're happy doing it, um, I'd say, sure, enjoy, go for it. Um, in terms of pushing growth, I think my perspective on it, and I don't tend to be greedy about money either. So it's like, I, I don't want to, you know, in my world, in the consulting world, it would be easy to hire people, to position people, to work with clients. And, you know, you're just kind of, you're just doing it to make money. And then you're not careful about who you hire and you're not careful about the work that's being done and is the work meeting the needs that that are out there in the world so i guess my perspective at least for my business is to have is for us to develop ways for us to work together for us to practice what we preach so that when we work with clients we kind of feel their pain a little bit if i can share a quick story uh a few weeks ago we were having as I said, we're four in the company and we were having some hard conversations together. And I remember one of my colleagues uh, looked at us and said, so this is what we're really asking our clients to do. And the realization kind of sunk in in that moment, right? But when we can look at it that way and when we can be curious about that and say, oh, yeah, that is, and this is a struggle that we're facing right now, so, okay, we know where we're going to get. So what do we want to do to get over this one? Right. It's it's a much healthier place than, oh, my God, Millette, you're really mean with me and you're bad with me. And, and then, you know, just brewing the conflict. You can look at the situation from a place of with more curiosity. Right. Yeah, I like that idea, too, that you said a little bit earlier, not necessarily growing just for the sake of growing. But if it makes sense for you and it's, if it's in alignment with what you're wanting to create, then then go for it. Yeah, because, you know, um, there's the, the for me, the biggest motivator in building my business was really around building this collaborative 
team. And, you know, when I talk with my team, I often talk about we all have superpowers. So how can we use them together? And how can we play with everyone's superpowers together? So there are some things that um, one person may be better than another. How can it be okay for those people to help each other versus being in competition because of ego? Right. Well, and I also, I, I like to explore the idea of, you know, not everyone is good at everything. I mean, I know that I have certain strengths and one of my weaknesses is executing ideas. I'm much more on the creative side, but when it comes down to actually putting it into practice and taking that action to move it forward, that's where I hit a stumbling block. And as a solopreneur, we all have to do everything until we can either hire more people or farm out the work. So I like that idea of once you have that team, being able to really see where people's strengths are and share the load and and let everyone bring their superpowers in to make the business even better. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard as a solopreneur, like, uh, even myself, I do a lot of, you know, I write a lot of articles. I get articles published on my own blog. I get articles published as, as part of the Forbes Coaches Council. I get, I write a lot of content. I manage part of my Twitter account. I delegate the other part of managing my Twitter account, but it's, it's a lot of work outside of being with clients sometimes. And that can be very, hard and you have to be very passionate and very dedicated to push yourself to do those things sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, talking about, you know, pushing yourself, what is the future look like for your business? Uh, what are you what are you creating next? So, I'm just going to sidestep your question a little bit before answering it. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, right now the main ways that we get money inside the business is through consulting work and through training work. So what I'm looking at building next is seeing um, how can I do more speaking? How can I, how can I bring speaking engagements as part of the revenue flow? That's something that's very much of, of interest to me. The other thing is about developing more and better leadership programs uh, that we can offer to clients and things that would allow us to work with clients on the longer term versus just punctual things for, for training. So are you, do you mean more ways to work one-to-many? Yes. Yes. So, for example, uh, one of the things, one of my little dreams is to organize a leadership retreat uh, for two or three days, maybe once or twice a year, and get known around where I live for doing that type of thing. And to have people come up and maybe people from the outside come up, not just people uh, uh, from Canada, but people from the States or people from the outside. But eventually, once you have that format for the retreat, there's nothing preventing you for doing that with uh, with clients on on a private level, right? And you know, so I'm trying to see how how do I leverage some stuff? How do I create new things? One of the things I I like to talk about and that I like to write about a lot uh, in regards to what we were saying, leadership for everyone, is this concept called co creative leadership. Uh, which is something I've been writing about a lot in the past year or so. And it's about how do I create more teaching around that for people, maybe stuff online or not, we'll see. 
but how how do we do get more stuff like that? Yeah, I think that that's something that a lot of coaches think about, even if they haven't brought that into their business yet. A lot of the people that I talk to will start out with one-on-ones or consulting or group coaching. And then at some point, they start to look at, I'm one person. And, and even if you have people on your team, you're still just the the man hours of what that one person can provide. So a lot of people, a lot of coaches seem to be really exploring the idea of how can we take this message and broaden our scope, whether that's some of the things that you were saying, like starting to get speaking engagements or creating products or services that can be brought to more people. So I think that that's something that a lot of people really like to think about and are trying to develop for themselves. And the truth is you need a big, you need a certain balance too in your, in your revenue mix, so to speak. Because, uh, you know, from, from experience, I've been in the consulting world for the last six years or so. And out of experience, uh, what I've seen is, you know, if you're focused on hourly consulting, you have to do a lot of hourly consulting versus if you're able to have either revenue streams that are sleeping in the background and producing money for you with an initial effort, and then you can kind of uh, surf on it for a little bit or just feed it a little bit on a more regular basis. Or if, in my case, when I offer training or workshops, the the profit margin is is just different than doing uh, than than doing hourly coaching. When you do workshops, do you go into that as this is a one off training, or do you go into it? where you maybe you present your material, but then you follow up with people and try to bring them in and do coaching with them after the fact? It depends. For me, uh, training, uh, the public training courses that, that we offer uh, are, are one of the business development zones easily because uh, I give courses for leadership teams, for management teams. So when I have the CEO or when I have someone in upper management, the person has access to, to, to dollars or knows the people that have access to dollars. And if you can key into their needs, every once in a while, you'll find someone that you go, oh, I really want to work with you oh, that would be a lot of fun. We can really do this together and can make an impact. So that's that's one way. Aside from that, um, the other thing I like to do sometimes with clients is with some of my good clients, people I'm, I'm with regularly, sometimes what I like to do is I like to try stuff up with them. I like to try new workshops with them. I like to try different things with them. And I'll, I'll charge that originally, probably on an hourly basis. And as we're practicing how to deliver that as a team, and as we're getting better to deliver it as a team, then I can market it as a separate thing and sell it at a different rate. Oh, that's actually a really great idea for people who are wanting to broaden the scope of what they offer. Because I know a lot of people will get started and they'll just have one signature workshop or one signature talk that they present. So that's a great idea on ways to expand smartly. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you, you know, if you're doing this with people that you know and people that you trust, um, you, you can't look at it from the short-term money perspective. You have to look at it from the perspective of, well, this allows me to practice. 
This allows me to see if I'm even delivering value or not. And sometimes if you charge the rate of a workshop uh, and and you don't deliver on their expectations, maybe you're not going to see that client anymore. And often when you do a workshop after that, it's also about seeing, well, how can I leverage this as part of something else? So sometimes you can do a workshop with a client that at an hourly rate, for example, because it's a good client and everything, but you know that you're still going to work with that client for a few months after. So what does it matter really if I'm doing it this way? for now and it allows me to practice. Do you find that the workshop topics that you present on, do you keep those more the like basic information and then your coaching would go deeper? Or how do you really structure your your trainings, your workshops? So uh, for me, when I say that we're doing a workshop, we're coming out with something concrete at the end. So for some for some clients, uh, one thing that I like to do with clients is a change management workshop that we do over a certain period of time. And in the workshop, we're not giving them theory. We're kind of guiding them through questions. And they're sitting at tables. They're doing the work. They're talking together because, you know, uh, part of my perspective on business, too, is one of the things that's missing in companies is alignment, is having the right conversations. So doing a workshop where you allow people to talk more in depth about a subject, even if it's for two days, after they've walked out of those two days, they feel a whole lot more aligned on what they've spoken about. So already you've gotten them in a place where they're practicing. And after that, the follow-up coaching is more, okay, so you've dreamt a dream. Now, how do I help you reach your dream? Right. How do we help you as a team now reach that dream? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you've kind of already covered the ways that you're generating revenue in your business. What would you say is your favorite strategy for just introducing new people to you know, who you are and what you can offer them. Public trainings are my favorite venue um, because you never know who you're going to get. And often you get a mix of people from different companies. Uh, I love it because you get to hear their cultures. You get to hear their hopes, their fears, their dreams. <laughs> you get to hear what's not going well. And sometimes it, I find... It's fun because when I'm giving training courses, I can also, I like to give a lot of examples based on work I've done with my clients. So the stories they hear are stories of things we've actually done with clients. It's not, we're not just giving theory, we're telling stories along with them that kind of go along with the theory. So that that's really my favorite way to get people to know what we do. Uh, is inside that kind of forum. And the other thing I like to do is I, I do a lot of writing too, as I said earlier. And often when I write about different topics, I write about what's bugging me now or what's in my mind now. Um, so sometimes I'll write, uh, you know, for a while on my blog, I posted a couple of stories of, of, uh, leadership as parents with our, with our children. How, how do we lead our children in some circumstances? And people can read that and tie into some stuff that maybe they're experiencing as well. Um, and it also kind of, I, I, uh, my challenge over the years has been writing in a way where I'm not just the consultant, 
but you know, I also let part of myself shine through and that that's been part of the work I've been doing on myself over the, the past few years too. How, how do I show more of myself as I'm doing these things? Yeah. A couple of things with that. Have you always worked storytelling into your presentations? Do you find that to be something that really draws people in more so than just a lecture or a talk? Oh, oh yes. Yes, it draws it draws people in a, a whole lot more. And you know, sometimes it's about the energy that you put in the storytelling too. I've been doing public speaking for the last eight or nine years or so. And over the past couple of years, you know, I've been presenting stuff where I have two words on the slide and I talk five, 10 minutes on that slide. So there's no safety net. If I don't know what I'm talking about, I can't be there. If, if I can't leverage and sometimes, you know, to make it more fun, um, I have one deck that I do. I, it's called the silent leadership crisis. Um, and I do that deck. There's eight slides in the deck two words per slide, pretty much. And it goes for about an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> and to make it more fun, what I do is I tend to interact with the people a lot. So I'll ask questions to, to the audience. And I've done this with 100, 200 people, uh, even a bit more, where, you know, you're, it's kind of a presentations or a conversation with people. So you kind of have an idea of where you want to go, but you don't always know how you're going to get there or you don't even know if you're going to get there or you're just telling stories in the moment that are the stories that kind of come up that seem the most relevant for the audience that's there. So, And it's the same thing when I teach. You can come to my courses too and you can come a couple of times and there's some stories that you will hear over and over again. But some days, depending on the groups, you'll have different stories because that's what we've been talking about during the course. This is the concerns of the people in the room. So let's talk about that. But if you put energy and emotion, it gets to be a whole lot more fun too. You have to, you have to be passionate, right? Right. Well, and just keeping people engaged yeah. over the, the course of the, the workshop is, is always helpful as well. Now, one thing that I did want to clarify at the beginning, you said that these were public workshops. Is that sort of like, you know, we have meetup down here. Is that is that kind of what you mean? Sort of like just a that you would put on and anybody can come, uh, sort of like a lunch and learn or something like that. Um, actually, there's some public courses that we uh, schedule on the Pixis website. So we actually have a public schedule of fixed courses that we do, and workshops that I do more often than not. I'll tend to do them uh, with with private clients. I also give private courses for clients that are interested in the stuff that we do. But we we have a pub to answer your first question. We have a public calendar of courses that people can sign up for. So knowing what you know now about building up a successful business, if you were talking to a brand new coach, what would be your advice for something that they should do first? Or even is there anything that you wish you had done first when you were just getting started? What I would tend to suggest is is be clear on your purpose. Be clear on why you're starting the business that you're starting. Be sure on how you want to serve that purpose, how you're serving it now, what you have to offer in service of that. <laughs> and after that, the, the I'd say go out and be yourself because the rest 
can can happen to a high to, to a certain extent if you're able to go out in a networking meeting and and talk to people be passionate about what you do not worry about money right away but money you know worry more about building connections with people uh you'll get somewhere and with my clients i spend a lot of energy in building relationships that that bring me past what they experience or what we do together at work um because that that creates a whole that creates stronger change for them so you find that developing relationships with potential clients or just developing a network in general is something that that coaches need to be thinking about doing yes and even when when you're going to see clients don't necessarily focus on selling something focus on listening for what they really need and how you can meet that need and if you can't meet that need be honest about it uh, I've met some clients in the business development context. I've met some clients where we'd meet on a regular basis. We'd meet every few months or something and we'd talk and I I just put flyers out there or little feelers out there. This is how I could help or this is how I can help or have you read this book? I think you should really read this book. This will give you some next steps. And if it's not clear, just read it. Call me back. We'll talk some more. And by showing people that you really authentically care and that you really authentically want to help them, people will find the money to work with you. Right. At least that's my belief. Stefan, this has been really, really good. I've learned so much about an aspect of coaching that I really didn't know very much about. So this has (laughs) been really great. Um, I'd like to finish up now with the final five rapid fire questions. All righty. All right. What is one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable? Presence, and I'll put two, developing my presence and developing my empathy, my ability to be in, to, to, to be in, to put myself in the shoes of the people that I work with. And, you know, just to circle this back to something we said earlier, uh, you were talking about my technical background earlier. Right. It's my technical background that also makes me a better coach because in in some ways I'm I'm when I work with my clients, I'm one of them. Right. To a certain extent. While at the same time I'm not, but I can still understand and relate to them better. Right. Yes, that that absolutely makes a big difference, I think. What's one quality that you feel every successful coach needs to develop? The ability to be themselves. Uh, In the coaching world, sometimes, um, you know, our clients put on masks, but as coaches, we can put on masks, uh, too, and try to make ourselves more successful or try to make ourselves look all sorts of stuff. And and then we lose humility and we lose a lot of good things that allow us to be in contact with people. So I, I really think the one big quality is being yourself. And then at least when people work with you, if they see you outside or if they see something you write, they go, oh, yeah, that's Millet. Exactly. Recommend one book. That's had a big impact, either on your business or on your life. So I'm going to recommend two. Uh, the first one is tribal leadership, mm-hmm. especially if you're working with groups and you want to develop a more collaborative mind shift. Uh, this is one book that helped me a lot. Uh, on the personal side, one of the books that helped me a lot is a book called Sailing Home by uh, Norman Fisher. 
And the interesting thing about this book, and what fascinates me about this book every time I read it, is it talks about Homer's Odyssey, uh, the old story from the past. And it brings it back to real life, and it brings it back to how we experience things in real life. And it actually brought me a lot of peace about myself and uh, another perspective, another way to look at things. Interesting. I've never heard of that. I'll have to check that one out. Give us one online resource that you think coaches would love and that you couldn't do business without. That's a hard question. I'm not sure what to answer that one. Because aside from social media, I don't use a whole lot of online resources right now. Finally, if the listeners want to know more about what you do, how do they get in touch with you? What um, social media platforms are you on and what's your website? My main social uh, media platform that I'm on is Twitter. So you can uh, come and follow me there uh, at the handle S-S-U-R-D-E-K. And on my Twitter, I tend to share a lot of the articles I write, videos I do. Uh, everything Steph is basically on my Twitter. Uh, aside from that, you can visit my leadership blog called provokingleadership.com. And there again, it's all the leadership content that I've written over the past four years. There's over 60 articles, videos, whatnot on there. And every time I write somewhere, that's kind of my hub. Um, I also have my personal website if you're interested in in having me uh, for a speaking engagement or you'd like to contact me for anything like that too, which is stefanserdek.com. So uh, S-T-E-F-F-A-N-S-U-R-D-E-K.com. And feel free to send me a note. I'll uh, I'll definitely respond. Nice. Well, I will be sure to get all of those links and recommendations onto the show notes page. Stefan, this has been a really good conversation, and I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been really a good time. You, you've been great with me. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Unstoppable Coach podcast. Be sure to head over to the website at unstoppablecoach.co where you can grab the show notes and check out all the resources and the links to the guest website and social sites. And be sure you join us every weekday when I interview another successful coach and we learn their secrets to building an unstoppable coaching business.